The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. For our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend, a great Lord's Day, and uh, ready to kick off the week here. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, and we are live right there on the right side of the page. You can also catch out that live video feed on my Twitter account at FPPTim, Periscope and Twitch at Setting Brushfires if you're on those platforms. Our Facebook page is Bradley Dean SOL. We're streaming live there as well. Our YouTube channel, Be Dean Sons of Liberty, up for as long as YouTube doesn't give us another strike. <laughs> but we're going live there now as well. Before it's news.com, right there on the front page, and then dlive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. We're also on Spreely Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.life if you're branching out into other social media platforms on Sons of Liberty and Sons of Liberty Media. And then if you'd like to call in at any time during the show, please keep it to the topic. We're not doing Chinese buffet, so. We're going to be on the topic of Benghazi and Extortion 17, Osama bin Laden, and the coming election, and what those things right now have to do with that. Uh, so give us a call, 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. Now, i got a special guest this morning. Um, I sort of pitched this, I- this idea for him to come on last week. There was a story out, an alleged CIA whistleblower by the name of Alan Perot, or yeah, Perot, I think is how you pronounce his name. And um, he had said he has this audio evidence and all of these documents, he says terabytes of documents uh, that point the finger at Joe Biden and Leon Panetta and John Brennan and all of this with the deaths of the Navy SEALs who were aboard Extortion 17. And to this day, this the shootdown of extortion 17 was one of the least reported stories i mean major stories and investigations of anything i mean benghazi swarmed that and yet there are people today who don't even you go extortion 17 what are you talking about so um i've got my friend don brown we've known each other for several years now 
And Don served on active duty for five years in the Navy as a JAG officer, during which time he served as a military prosecutor, a special assistant United States attorney, and also won the New York City Bar Association Trial Advocacy Award for winning the Trial Advocacy Championship at the United States Naval Justice School. Um, he remained on an active reserve status with the Navy through 1999, rising to the rank of lieutenant commander. Uh, he is a father. He's a husband. And uh, I'm glad to call him friend. Uh, this is Don Brown. And uh, Don, good to have you here at the Sons of Liberty, man. Good morning, Tim. It's uh, good to be back. Hope you're doing well. Hope Bradley's well. And always a big fan and always honored to be on your show whenever I get a chance. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's been some time since we've had you on, and uh, one of the things that that I wanted to do this morning that I asked you about is to set some context here. Now, <clears throat> Don has uh, has written a book, and it's the shootdown of Extortion Seventeen, and part of that is him laying out what the what was referred to as the Colt Report, which was the documentation of their investigation of how they laid things out. And Don breaks that down in this book. Uh, the link to his Amazon page is in the video description for you guys watching on the video platforms. It's called Call Sign Extortion 17, the shootdown of SEAL Team 6. Now, Don, before we get into playing this little clip here, it, actually it's not a little, it's about 20 minutes or so, and I want to play that to set the context. And you said that's okay, so Don's going to be staying over with us. So any of you guys on Red State Talk Radio, if you want to hear all of the show, uh, after 7 o'clock, you need to get on our YouTube or our Facebook page. But I want to play this. But before I do that, Don, can you give people just a brief thing of what happened there with Extortion 17? And we'll get into it more after you after we play the uh, this interview that, that came on. You bet. Well, first off, Extortion 17, or Extortion 17, it's referred to in the military, was the name of a, uh, a military helicopter, a CH-47D, a Chinook, um, which is, is a large a military helicopter with with two big rotors, one on the front, one on the back. And, um, you know, it'll carry about 30 troops all together or it'll carry equipment. It's, it's a workhorse helicopter used by our military. And on August of 6, 2011, a, an a, a, a Chinook helicopter called Extortion 17 was shot down in Afghanistan. On board were 30 Americans, including 17 Navy SEALs. Uh, primarily from SEAL Team 6, shot down at point blank range in Wardak Province, Afghanistan, in a place called the Tangi River Valley. Uh, this, to put this into context, as you mentioned, there's been very little publicity about this, um, even though this was the largest loss, single loss of life in the Afghan war, and it was the shoot down of our most prestigious and our most lethal uh, military unit that is SEAL Team 6. Um, the uh, shootdown took place uh, about 96 days after U.S. Navy SEALs were credited with taking out Osama bin Laden, which was on May 1st, 2011, and, um, and about a year before another more uh, high-profile event, and that is the killing of Chris Stevens and three other Americans in the Special Missions Compound, not a consulate, but what we call Special Missions Compound in Benghazi, Libya, on September 11, 2012. So it was sandwiched between two very high-profile events. But there are many, many questions that are that are involved around this shootdown. As you mentioned, I, I have done a book. I just hold it up for your audience to see. It's called Call Sign Extortion 17: The Shootdown of SEAL Team Six. And this book 
um, was written based on something called the Colt Report. The Colt Report was the investigative report, the official uh, investigation done by the military into the shoot down. And, you know, I was asked to examine that report by one of the family members, Billy and Karen Vaughn, who lost their son, Aaron Vaughn, on the, uh, the, uh, the aircraft. And I had, as a Navy JAG officer, had handled a major military aviation disaster in San Diego in the late 90s. So I had a little bit of a background on this. As I went through the report and began to study it, that I discovered the inconsistencies and the contradictions raised more questions than answers are provided. And it appears that the SEALs were flown into a trap, to be honest with you. And we had an opportunity not to fly this mission. Missions should never have been flown. Um, black box disappeared without any explanation. And so the, um, there, are, there are many, many questions surrounding this shoot down. It is true that Joe Biden uh, and Leon Panetta uh, were involved to a degree before the shoot down and that they revealed the identity of the unit that had taken out bin Laden, which is something that the Obama White House is not supposed to do. But um, the book addresses, uh, first of all, the book basically lays out the chronology of the mission it is a tribute to the to the 30 Americans who died, including 17 members of SEAL Team 6. And it raises questions that we're still waiting for answers to to this day. So, you, you know, this is I appreciate you helping to keep the story alive, Tim, because if it weren't for good folks like you in the media and on the good side of the media. Um, these guys will be forgotten as a footnote in history. And we're determined not to let their memories just you know, fade away into oblivion. So thank you for, for the work that you've done over the years to keep the story alive. Yeah, sure. And we've got lots of, I'm going to have links to all the um, articles that I've done. Some of them were based off of the information that you gave because you did question a lot of what came out of the Colt report uh, and things and, and putting that out. And I think that was good. Then we've got some other stuff that's come out. <clears throat> One of the um, ladies who was in the, uh, uh, helicopter that was the Apache that was behind them that saw the the fireball that was that, that erupted there wanted to fire and uh, because of the rules engagement which was something that Billy and Carrie Vaughn um, Karen Vaughn were pointing out uh, under the Obama administration they wouldn't even allow them to fire back because they said allegedly there might be friendlies in there I guess friendlies just destroy you or shoot down your guys right. and I think this is more than just keeping their memory alive I think this is an issue that somebody's got to be held accountable because. That section where where they go through, this was like, what, the seventh or ninth time that that valley had to be cleared. In fact, if people saw the film, I forget what the guy, he used he played Thor, uh, but he did one called, uh, was it 12 Strong or something like that? And it was... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was the Colonel, first... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Colonel Adam Shook. 12 Strong was the, was the movie about the initial Green Beret unit that went in. To Afghanistan for the first documented military mission. Very good, uh, very good flick. If you get a chance that any of your viewers haven't seen it, it's worth it's worth the worth the watch. Yeah, they were the first guys in there, and that when the first valley they were in was right in there. So it's the same area that we're talking right. about that this happened. Now, here's right. what I want to do, Don. Um, I want to play this little interview here, and <clears> this <throat> is again, folks. This is going to run about 20 minutes, so just hang with it. Um, and some of you guys are going to laugh at the guy who's talking because he looks like the Dumbledore from Harry Potter or something. I mean, he looks like a wizard. Uh, he's not, but that's what he looks like. He's a former CIA whistleblower, and uh, he was involved with falconry, which is an interesting thing. Um, so anyway, this is this is the interview. Now, this is conducted by 
uh, a gentleman, and then the guy from Benghazi who was killed, Ty Woods, uh, his father is on here as well. And so I'm going to play this just to kind of give context for why I wanted Don to come on and speak to speak to these issues. So here we go, folks. Um, let me get it set up. And here we go. And uh, uh, Great to be here. Please introduce no, yourself good. to everybody. Your full okay, name. I'm, uh, my name's Alan Perot. I was a uh, falconer for Arab political leaders for 20 years. And then I spent another 10 years in former Soviet territories uh, doing conservation work and catching falcon smugglers. Excellent. So in our, we crossed paths about a year ago or no, about you know, eight months ago. And, and, and I have always been searching for the reasons as to why and why they wanted everyone to die in Benghazi. And boy, do you have some really good information that explains everything. And uh, you know, I, I, we appreciate that you're taking the time to share it with us, everyone, so. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I have to say that, that our military are so well-trained, their work is compartmentalized. And the only people that understand the full story are the people at the top. Uh, and they have made some very bad decisions for this country and uh, for uh, the former Navy SEAL, Ty Woods, and his brethren who perished unnecessarily uh, at the hands of Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, in the large picture, this involves Joe Biden and John Brennan. So could you ex explain the context of how all this, how did this all start? Well, the, the, the gestation, the beginning was uh, in the 70s during the Church Commission uh, when an alternate CIA was created called the Safari Club. And the Safari Club was financed by overseas allies. Uh, it was outsourced to foreign banks. I have uh, two banks and bank accounts that were used by the Safari Club and the individuals with checks paid out by them. Osama bin Laden was one of the recipients of funding from this uh, alternate CIA that was uh, subverting the oversight control of the successor to the uh, Church Commission, and that is the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, uh, one week before bin Laden was killed, I was called down to the Senate Intelligence Committee to give uh, statements and evidence. And I have uh, quite a few tape recordings and uh, uh, of, of uh, senior members uh, who were aware of bin Laden's house arrest in Iran for 10 years following Tora Bora. This was arranged by John Brennan. This is why Gary Bernson was not allowed to kill um, Osama bin Laden in Tora Bora when he was only a few hundred yards away uh, because the plans had been made and set in stone by John Brennan to uh, extradite uh, bin Laden from Tora Bora to Iran where he remained under house arrest for 10 years with 100, more than 100 Al-Qaeda leaders and their families. So what you're saying is that there was no need for us 
to invade Afghanistan under the pretext of getting al-Qaeda if the U.S. government knew and was actually protecting his life in Iran. Is that correct? Well, I have to say it really, it was rogue elements of the U.S. government controlled by uh, John Brennan, Richard Clark, uh, uh, Vice President Biden, quite a, quite a few people. There's a long list of, of people. Uh, they started with good intentions. The Safari Club was begun to, to fight the expansion of the USSR, but it turned into a, um, a, a very distorted operation over the years. And uh, Osama bin Laden was the figurehead uh, manifestation of this alternate CIA. And so they had to protect him in their bad judgment. And you see, one lie leads to another. Our parents always taught us this. And so uh, when I, uh, my team, we, we planned a program to go in and get bin Laden in Iran. Uh, we were going to catch him when he was falconry hunting because I spent 20 years living with Arab political leaders, training their falcons and going out in, in these camps, hunting with them. And then uh, I noticed there were terrorists coming into these camps and the Royal Falconry camps are Al-Qaeda's boardroom. This is where these bad guys come. There are no passport or border controls. And, and so... Uh, uh, we, we were going to go in and get bin Laden, but unfortunately, within minutes of ascending to the office of the CIA director, Leon Panetta's first act in office was to cancel the RIGOR program, R-I-G-O-R, a covert CIA program to catch and kill Osama bin Laden in Iran. Uh, this was six months after Barack Obama was sworn in as president, and Leon Panetta threw a tantrum and canceled RIGOR. This was reported by Goldman and Apuzo, and slightly mischaracterized in the press as targeting al-Qaeda leaders all over the world, but it was focused only on Iran and bin Laden. And so um, uh, when we were first ignored and then obstructed and then threatened by eight CIA officials and warned off going into Iran to get bin Laden, we had passports, visas, uh, everything was ready. The the Revolutionary Guards were going to be our bodyguards while we were out doing uh, bona fide scientific research as a cover for catching bin Laden alive for delivery to a tri-state area. Uh, when we were shut down by Leon Panetta and others, uh, I began negotiating directly uh, with Iran six scenario analyses for the transfer of bin Laden alive and well to coalition uh, forces and uh, to have him put in a neutral zone. Um, and Iran is on tape agreeing to this. It was all done. It took three years to develop this. I had meetings in the Iranian mission at the United Nations, Ambassador Mohammed Kazai organized everything. Baksarai was, was the handler. There were several handlers. Everything was ready. And then I went to um, Governor Bill Richardson, New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, on December 2nd and 3rd of 2010. He agreed to be the U.S. envoy to receive bin Laden for a transfer to coalition custody. And uh, it turned out 
that bin Laden had already been moved to Abbottabad, Pakistan in August of 2010. And, uh, um, and so... Why was um, he transferred there? He was transferred there because in the six scenario analyses that I discussed with Iran, by harboring Osama bin Laden and 100 al-Qaeda leaders, this represents an act of war against the United States. Their nuclear facilities could be bombed and their economy obliterated. So the time moves backwards instead of forwards. And the Iranians didn't want to risk exposing their, their uh, complicit uh, or complicity with John Brennan and others to harbor. You see, they, John Brennan and Clinton and Biden outsourced the imprisonment of al-Qaeda leaders to Iran. We think of outsourcing as, as being a commercial activity. They outsourced our military responsibilities to an untrustworthy adversary, Iran. And, and they did that to save Iran from retaliation for harboring uh, terrorists. And so Iran had no choice in their estimation but to accept the offer of Clinton in lieu, oh, in lieu of my, over my offer, which was transferred to a neutral zone because that would have endangered their economy and their nuclear program. And so they Clinton, could, forgive me, uh, I, I want to ask you about this. So Clinton actually knew about this, right? You, she knew the, that they were willing to just hand him over to us. Tapes, and, registered letters, everything to Clinton. And, so, and so she knew that they were ready, Iran was ready to give us bin Laden with no real struggle. And absolutely. She, so she decided to have him move to Pakistan for yes. a trophy kill. For they, they moved him to Abbottabad in August of 2010. And uh, that's our first overhead viewings of bin Laden walking in the garden. Everybody said he was crippled, but he walked down three flights of stairs to walk in a garden to advertise his presence. Okay. It was an advertisement. Then the gas line was put on the third floor of the Abbottabad complex in August because he, his wives had to stay uh, sequestered away from the other men. They had to cook in private without the purda veil. And uh, other things. Uh, Saad bin, uh, one of bin Laden's sons said his father was strangely resigned to dying in Abbottabad. So he was held there in a gilded cage, awaiting his trophy kill. He was moved from Mashhad, Iran, into Abbottabad uh, airport, and then moved to this prison complex, the Abbottabad compound. It was not there to protect him. It was there to keep him there, awaiting his appointment with destiny. But the Iranians turned it into a fateful result because they pulled bin Laden out at the last minute, at the 11th hour, after an Iranian agent, a double agent, a Pakistan ISI officer who worked for Iran covertly, provided the DNA evidence uh, to the CIA station chief. Um, finally, they were convinced it was bin Laden in Abbottabad. And they sent in SEAL Team 6. And uh, Musharraf said he didn't know about the SEAL Team 6 coming in, but they had to let down the radar long enough for the helicopters to come in. And they only told Obama about the uh, SEAL Team 6 kill mission after the radar was put back up and SEAL Team 6 could not go back into uh, Pakistan, Af Afghanistan. It was then a one-way trip that could not be canceled. You see, we have, we have a witness who, who witnessed uh, Hillary and Panetta threatening Obama that if he didn't greenlight the 
bin Laden kill mission, they would expose him in the press and he would never survive politically. And he actually was reluctant to authorize the kill mission. That's why they pulled him off the golf course only after the mission could not be canceled. And uh, so the, the agent provocateurs, the engineers of all of this were John Brennan, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden. And uh, uh, when, they, when they went in there trusting the Iranians had, had, had been Laden there waiting for them, SEAL Team 6, your son, they, he was he was retired at that time. Actually. Yes, but but the SEAL Team Six they killed Osama bin Laden's double. How do we know that? One of the wives went running towards them before he shot him and said, "Don't shoot! He's he's a double." I don't know the language she used, and uh, then uh, if you read uh, Cy Hirsch uh, Cy Hirsch's book. Um, he explains that they threw the body parts over the Hindu Kush mountains. They didn't even save them like they saved the sons of Saddam Hussein in, in a refrigerated tent, well-preserved and with makeup, just to prove that they that the wicked witch was dead. They saved the sons of Saddam Hussein, but they did not save the corpse of Osama bin Laden because it was his double. And so, it, could not, it could not handle the scrutiny of DNA testing on the ship. Okay, so the SEAL team, they knew that, that it was thrown out of the helicopter? They learned, that it, they learned that it was not bin Laden. And so they threw the body parts over the Hindu Kush mountains. And, and uh, John Brennan said that the uh, people on the ship were told to keep quiet about the barrel at sea, but they all say that they never were told to keep quiet because there was no barrel at sea. John Brennan took the lead and made the fake media announcements. He lied to the press when he explained this. This Muslim burial at sea, it's, it's actually haram. It's forbidden to bury a Muslim at sea unless, unless the body's going to endanger the lives of the crew with disease risk. You know, you can't, because you see in the ocean, the feet, it'll rotate around and the feet will face Mecca. It's haram. You must bury on land with the face facing Mecca. So Brennan, who, who's a Muslim, you'd think he'd know not to lie about something so obvious. He said it was a Muslim burial at sea. Nonsense. And, uh, so this big lie uh, that you, you see, they, Biden, Hillary, and Clinton worked this agreement with Iran. They trusted Iran to move bin Laden to Pakistan. He did. He was there. But then they trusted Iran to keep him there. They moved him out back to Iran. And then uh, the communication from Iran to Obama was, hey, uh, we got your neck in a noose. Give us a give us all this money, hundred and fifty two billion dollars. Two billion on an airplane pallet was paid out for the secrets I wish to reveal now and to the president under the terms of misprision and treason. That is to say, this is a secret. These are secrets worth hundred and fifty two billion dollars paid by President Obama and Vice President Biden paid with the blood of SEAL Team 6 when he had them killed. So it's blackmail and extortion then. Blackmail and extortion. Now, Iran commandeered. Do you have the documents to prove uh, yes. this? Yes. Now, if, Iran, yes, sir? I was going to ask you, if you have those documents, are you willing to personally deliver those to President Trump 
if he were to provide the transportation and the guarantee of safety for you to do that? Well, I'm not concerned about safety. There's always an invisible hand that protects us, and we're on the winning team. America's on the winning team. Not one sparrow falls to the ground outside of God's will. Yes. Yes. I, it would be my pleasure and my honor to bring this material to President Trump. There's a massive amount, terabytes, documents, video, audio. I it needs to go to the president. I, I will do everything that I can to get this video in his hands. It's well, my only wish. Alan, I've got a my question for wish. you. Um, so that means that SEAL Team 6 was shot down on purpose after the, the trophy kill to ensure that no dead man can tell no tales. You were correct. So that uh, President Obama paid bribery of $152 million. Vice President Biden paid with the blood of SEAL Team 6. He spent their blood like currency. Well, I've got to I've got to share something with you. Actually, Charles does. Charles, tell him about the Army Ranger that you talked to that was in the city where uh, they were shot down. Okay. Uh, when I we lived in Hawaii, and for about a month afterwards, I was in shock. And my wife and I we went walking on the beach, and. In the back of my vehicle, I have a, a bumper sticker about Ty. And this gentleman came up to me, and he was an Army Ranger that had been injured and he was recuperating in Hawaii. And he said, how do you know Chief Petty Officer Woods? And I says, well, I'm his dad. And he says, well, I worked with your son. And we became very close. It was part of my healing process, actually, getting to know him. Uh, he started coming to our church. His girlfriend started surfing with my daughters, and they ended up getting married. Uh, and one of the things that he told me, he says, I was on the ranger team that was in that village where SEAL Team 6 was killed. The story was by the Biden-Obama administration that uh, there was this team that was under attack in this village, uh, we're going to die if you don't get someone here really quick. And so they loaded SEAL Team 6 on this slow, vintage Huey helicopter the size of a school bus and slowly got them to the village. Now, they did not request help. They've been in that village numerous times before. In fact, if someone came, it would actually endanger them. The story was not true. And then usually, when a helicopter comes in, it goes zoom right down to the ground, opens up, all the troops go out in seconds, and then boom, the helicopter goes straight up. Well, this was a sitting target, okay, the size of a school bus. It hovered in the air over that village, just waiting to be shot down, and the people hot roped. I've never heard the word hot rope before. That means they each individually lowers down while it was a sitting target. And then apparently it was shot down by one of those weapons that Hillary Clinton illegally sent to Benghazi to give to terrorists, a terrorist organization, the US government 
used to get rid of our ally who was fighting terrorism. That's Gaddafi. One of, one of the and then that, in, that weapon ended up over in Afghanistan. They were Stinger missiles. Thousands upon thousands of them went missing. And Mark Turry was told that he's no longer, he had a small arms uh, covert weapons program going. So that way there, none of that was ever given to someone because they could shoot down jetliners just flying by if they wanted to. A child could do it and a 12-year-old could do it. So these Stinger missiles went through Benghazi and then were given to the people who shot down SEAL Team 6. That was a setup. They were covering their tracks there. And then when they found the serial number on one of the missiles, it is traced back to the CIA from Qatar, from that weapons cache of Stinger missiles. That's why they had to then cover their tracks after people found out that the missiles were from uh, Qatar and then they could trace back where they came from, from Hillary through Benghazi. That's why Stevens was back there to recover those missiles and, and, and uh, cover up the evidence. Well, that's the least what he was told. Um, you know, I assume that part of the plan for her was to eliminate everyone there at the Benghazi uh, compound as well. You know, it's just so wicked. It's it's hard. It's just so unimaginably evil what these people do. Dead men don't talk. Well, well, Alan, you have we'll, we'll talk. We will talk. You have some good news coming up here in the next week and a half. Week. Yes, sir. It's going to be released. Uh, audio tapes, documents. Yeah. I believe so, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about it and uh, seeing seeing everybody connect the dots because it's pretty plain to see the people involved and it's all connected to another crime spree. And, and that's another story though. Well, let's just remember that heavy price has been paid for the secrets we are uncovering. And there are millions of people who want to see the truth and we're going to we're going to deliver well america is a democracy and for a democracy to work the people that vote need to know what the truth is and that is why we have three weeks for the people of the united states to get to know the truth i hope that the media covers this including the fake media, because the truth has to come out for our democracy to work properly so people can vote intelligently. Totally agree. I agree. All right, Alan, uh, we appreciate your time today. I'm sure this is All right. just the beginning. Uh, I'm going to shut this off here. And, and, and I apologize. I kept going back to show everyone Don. The it's the beginning, here. but it's... I apologize. I kept going to Don. It kept going to Don. It wasn't... I wasn't trying to do that, Don. I, I just did that at the first. Here's the thing. Let me answer a couple of things that are that are um, questions in here. One is, if SEAL Team 6 was used in Benghazi, or excuse me, not in Benghazi, but to kill Osama bin Laden, which uh, I think a lot of us have had questions as to whether or not they actually killed Osama bin Laden. Um, so I don't, I don't buy that at all. I, <clears throat> I believe the guy was dead a long time before that. But you know, SEAL Team 6 is made up of, of a bunch of guys. It's not just... You know, the, a lot of people in the chat are asking about uh, SEAL Team Six. Well, if they if that was there, why? How come these guys weren't killed? And this, that, and the other. Well, there, are, there's 
literally, what, 80 or 100 guys or something that make up SEAL Team 6. So it's not that. The thing that, that's asked here in the chat is the same thing I posed to you, Don, and that's this. If this guy has all these terabytes of information, if he has audio recordings, why didn't he present that, any of it here? And, and I think this is, this is where the rub comes of, you know, I think it was uh, Gary Franchi um, who put out the interview. He had a young girl by the last name of Kate. I, I couldn't find her Twitter. I was looking for her Twitter. He's the one who had the interview up <clears throat> with her. She says, oh, I've seen the documents. I've heard the audio. But the whole time she's reporting it, she's reporting it like, you know, the sun was out yesterday and, and it wasn't raining. And she wasn't reporting like, I just heard the vice president and the <clears throat> the former de- uh, defense department secretary. I, I, I heard uh, John Brennan and they were talking about killing these guys or setting it up or whatever the case. She wasn't saying it like it was a mom. Now, the video has been removed. That interview has been removed from YouTube. But <clears throat> I want people to understand, it says the video was removed by the uploader. So Franchi is the one who removed it, not YouTube. He removed it. Now, I don't know why he removed it or whatever, uh, but he's the one who removed that. So this needs to be taken into account. But Don... What's your thoughts? Because you're familiar with uh, Benghazi, which happened a little over a year later than what happened on August was August 6, 2011, with Extortion 17. September 12th, uh, excuse me, September 11th, 2012 is when Benghazi attack took place. What's your thoughts on some of what you've heard here in uh, in this interview with this alleged CIA whistleblower here? Well, thanks, and. Uh... Tim, this is the first time I've actually seen that particular interview. I've seen some other things. I haven't really seen any substantive evidence backing up the claim. Um, I mean, the gentleman, you know, sounds like he has a command of certain facts that an insider would have command of, but it's one thing to have command of certain facts. For example, I've, I've been told other CIA contacts that Brennan is, in fact, Muslim. Uh, and but it's one thing to have a command of certain facts, another thing to make, um, you know, an accusation that takes this all the way to SEAL Team 6 being shot down to squelch out their, what they knew about, you know, this body double in Pakistan. That's, that's quite a stretch. And I'll just say this. Actually, you said SEAL Team 6 has 100 members. Actually, I understand it's over 200 with four separate squads and the information that we had um, that Billy Vaughn himself got, who's Aaron's father, was that the gold red squad was primarily the unit that, um, <clears throat> that was involved in this mission in, in Pakistan. Um, the extortion one seven was primarily gold squad. Now we don't know <clears throat> that there weren't gold squad operators uh, in in uh, Pakistan as well. But <clears throat> from what we we think we do know is that um, at least two stealth helicopters um, <clears throat> went into uh, Pakistan. And of course, one uh, got in some trouble and they had to scrap it there. Uh, there were uh, f- um, far more than 30 Americans apparently involved in that mission altogether between the, the SEAL team itself and the support squad. The other thing that I found a little bit odd uh, from Mr. Perot, and, you know, 
Um, he indicated the radar went down that the Pakistan had to lower its radar, let the SEAL team in. Well, um, I'll point out that the assault choppers were allegedly stealth choppers, and ordinarily um, they're going to, you know, those missions are going to be flying so low um, just above the mountains that, you know, radar sometimes is not effective at those altitudes. So, you know, I mean, I, 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 it's kind of like the old Wendy's commercial from years ago. Like, where's the beef? If you got it, drop it. Let's hear what you got. Uh, even, you know, I mean, there, there are some things, and, 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 you know, I mean, the questioner is also the, the guy, the blue shirt, you know, he said a couple of times, America's a democracy. The last thing he was saying, I wanted to squelch down. I know that's not what we're here to talk about. But, um, you know, uh, the whole thing about Stinger missiles possibly shooting down Extortion 17. Well, we've looked into that, and actually, there were 20,000 man pad, which are shoulder fired missiles that went missing in, Af- in, excuse me, in Libya as a result of, of Obama and Hillary Clinton initiating a civil war against Gaddafi. Uh, our information is they weren't necessarily Stinger missiles, some of them were Russian missiles that Gaddafi had had from his previous dealings with the Soviet Union. All that aside, I want to see more. I mean, this this Mr. Perot, he spins a really good story. I mean, he spins a good story, but I want to I want to see the beef behind the story, man. Or else, you know, uh, so much stuff is flying out around there, and I've got to see evidence, and I haven't seen anything of substance yet beyond what we just heard, which is the nice sounding story. I mean, the the guy knows the guy has enough command apparently of the inner workings of you know the CIA. It sounds like that. He can he can make statements that sound credible in certain areas, but where is your evidence, brother? That's what I want to see. And the notion that he's going to deliver this thing to Trump and especially get it into Trump's hands here two weeks or so uh, before presidential election. Well, I mean, hell freeze over before that happens because Trump's running from you know Minnesota to uh, to here in Carolina to you know any other swing state you can think of, you know Pennsylvania or whatever, making two and three speeches tonight. He ain't going to have time. Um, to look at volumes of evidence that this Mr. Perot claims he has. So here's the point, Mr. Perot. If you've got the evidence, you better you know, put it out on social media so that it can be scrutinized. If you don't have it, you don't have it. But I want to see the beef, Tim. Well, I do too. And there are some guys, <clears throat> and I appreciate you guys uh, in the chat room dropping some links there. And the, the, the reporter's name was Anna Kate, K-H-A-I-T. And... Um, <clears throat> They've come up with another report. I haven't seen this one. This one came out on the 17th, so I appreciate you guys uh, dropping some information. Somebody's dropped me a <clears throat> a link to an MP3, and I don't know what that is, Clifford, but thank you for doing that. I'll check that after the show, and I'll put those things in in the archive as well. But that was that was my question when this came out. Look, I, I interviewed uh, 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 Chris Peranto, uh, Tonto. Uh, from Benghazi. I've interviewed him on right. several occasions. And when I brought the issue to him about the weapons, he goes, you know, it's interesting you say that. Now, he wouldn't say there were there were things there, okay? Uh, but what he did say was the following day after the attack, uh, Chris Stevens was supposed to meet with another guy who was to open a school, I think it was to teach English, that was right there near that mission where they were set up at. And he said, we were charged with going and securing that building. He said, the interesting thing was, we weren't allowed inside. We were allowed in one little room in the back. But he said, I always found that interesting. They want it secure, 
but they wouldn't let us go inside it. And he said, if anything is there, then that would be where it is. And but he wouldn't. He wasn't willing to say that's that's what it is. They were doing this, that, and the other. He's just saying this is what we were charged to do. And this was one building that was basically off limits. We we got to go around the outside in a little room in the back. And so I have no doubt that that somehow there is some some gun running that was going there because uh, I think this was. Many had theorized that this was that Megazi was sort of the proxy going uh, into Syria. And so, well, the, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean, I've investigated this question. Not only that, uh, but Claire Lopez, Claire, Claire Lopez, who's former CIA operative, and I were working on a book together. And um, so we've done a lot. We've done a lot of research on this question. There's no question that that the uh, CIA, in cooperation with the State Department, was running guns from Benghazi across the Med into Turkey and then across the border into Syria to support the Syrian Free Army. And a lot of these guns were being bought off the street from militia members. Because Hillary spent the first, you know, up until until Gaddafi's death, she spent months and months and months running guns surreptitiously into uh, Libya for these militia members, um, these radical Islamist militia members to use against Gaddafi, and even still, they were having very little success until the Obama administration got into business of enforcing a no-fly zone because Gaddafi was using his air force to suppress the rebels. And so those those all that got out of control, and there were so many guns on the street that the plan was to then buy them off these militia members, which caused a lot of friction from the militia leaders because the U.S. government was pulling money to buy these weapons off the street. Uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, there are at least 20,000 what we call man pads that remain unaccounted for. A man pad is a shoulder-fired missile, which could bring down an aircraft. Of course, the best information we got is there were Soviet-era man pads. Some may be operational, some may not be operational. Um, I don't have any evidence that there were American Stinger missiles that were you know, put on those those boats and those ships and sent across the med the drug and the drug and the uh, gun running scheme. But even so, even you know, we know there. I'm confident that there was a gun running scheme across the med. And Chris Stevens was, you know, he was heading up a lot of that right out of Benghazi because that's a port there in northern northeastern Libya. And um, and as I mentioned a moment ago, people call. The uh, building he was in a consulate. No, it wasn't a consulate. It was a special missions compound um, in which this is a joint State Department CIA operation at this time. The State Department actually ran the weapons in and then the CIA was kind of running the weapons out. And Benghazi was, and, and Stevens is an intermediary. But even given the, the gun running reality, and I, I don't doubt that at all, that's still a pretty big stretch Um you know, and, and a pretty big logical, you know, leap to go from there to the notion that somehow that's got something to do with hiding, uh, you know, this this body this du- body double thing, and, and 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 again, as I mentioned a moment ago, SEAL Team Six has, what we know, well over two hundred members, maybe even up to three hundred members. When you look at the four squads, actually five, I believe, that are part of the unit. Um, and, uh, and so if you if you if you shoot down extortion one seven for the purpose uh, of, of silencing them, you know, we don't know. I, I, I don't think 
that, well, we know, for example, Aaron Vaughn, um, from what he told his mom and dad before he died, who was on his torture when seven, we, he, he has said that he was not, he's told them he was not on the, on this, on the mission that killed Bin Laden. So we know at least one guy wasn't on that mission. So I, I don't, I have a tough time believing that you can take all the witnesses out by taking out extortion one seven. Now, if, if the theory is, well, you know, we're going to take it out to send a message to the seals to shut their mouth. That's a different theory. You know, it's still kind of a stretch, but I, I go back and challenge this Mr. Perot guy, you know, where's, where's the beef man. I mean, what are you going to do? Just give an interview to these two guys. Do you, I don't know if you know who these guys are. They're interviewing or not. I don't know who they are. Yeah, the, the one is uh, the one is Ty Woods' father, and so okay. uh, that was that was the older gentleman who was there. And okay. so I I'm I'm with you though. If you've got it, and and then the curious question is, and somebody made mention of it, who's a Biden fan, but I'm I'm not a Biden fan either. I don't think he's going to fix anything more than Trump will. But the the point is, is that is the timing. This guy has had to have this alleged information that he claims for how long? He didn't just come across it like a week ago, and he hasn't really, as far as I can see, he hasn't released it. Some people are saying, well, there's there's audio here, but from what I'm seeing, it's audio between him and the congressman that he's allegedly right. talked to. So I don't see the, the drops of the information. To me, it smacks of something coming right before an election. It's to keep pushing people. It's to hold the carrot out there to say, oh, we're going to get justice. Oh, we're going to get justice. Folks, Donald Trump promised you justice the first time around, and that hasn't happened. In fact, all we've seen is, you know, he said drain the swamp, but all we've seen is swamp creatures come in. Bill Barr is a swamp creature. I don't care what anybody says. That's what the man is. If you think you're going to get justice out of that, that's why the Durham report is waiting till after. the. It's another carrot in front of you. You know, if you just put us in, we're going to get it. Well, isn't that what people put him in for? And by the way, this uh, Mr. Woods, with all due respect, America is not a democracy. It's a republic. That means we're yeah, led right. by law, not by democracy or mob rule. That's what that is. That's what when you hear democracy, just think mob rule. That's what it is. We're not that. And so um, I just want to get that in there because this is something <laughs> that's prevalent. Even President Trump says it all the time. Democracy, democracy. democracy. We're not. We're a republic. That means law. Law rules. It, law is there. And we restrict our uh, representatives from writing law that we didn't give them authority to write on. So here's the thing. We're going to come up on the end of the show here in just a couple of minutes, Don. And and we're going to go over just a little bit for those who are listening by Red State Talk Radio. And one of the things I want you to do is because you know this stuff about Benghazi. But what about uh, Extortion 17? Why is that such an important issue that needs to be at the front, maybe even more than Benghazi? Because the fact of the matter is, is they were outed by Joe Biden, SEAL Team 6. He right. he opened his big mouth about that. And so did Leon Panetta. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what went on in each of those situations so they understand that uh, what was supposed to be kept quiet was just blasted from the rooftops? Glad to. Well, um you know, at the time uh, of Operation Neptune Sphere, which was has been the uh, code name for the mission to have taken out bin Laden, the Secretary of Defense at the time was Bob Gates, and he brokered an agreement amongst the highest levels of the, of the Obama administration not to identify the unit that, that carried this mission out. You know, um, and the, and the reason for that it was for security. 
So, you know, it could have been, you know, it could have been CIA, could have been you know, Marine Force Recon, could have been Green Berets, could have been, you know, it could have been Delta Force. And so if you remember back to um, May 1, when Obama came out that night and, and gave the speech announcing the death of bin Laden, um, you know, he he kept his word there. He said the, the mission was carried out by a small group of Americans. And then we, we had a thousand eyes. I this, I that, I ordered this, I ordered that, et cetera, et cetera. But Obama, to his credit, did not reveal either the Navy SEALs or SEAL Team 6 as the unit carrying out the mission. Then two days later, um, at a function, at a, at a, at a uh, function honoring the uh, North, the anniversary of North Atlantic Alliance at a hotel in Washington, the vice president himself did out the SEALs as a unit to carry out the mission, even though he was supposed to keep his mouth shut. Matter of fact, he saw an admiral, James Stavridis, who, who now writes for a think tank, and he said, there's Admiral Stavridis over there, you know, the press is rolling, the camera's rolling. It's amazing what his SEALs just just accomplished two days ago by taking out Bin Laden. So Biden outed the SEALs two days later. And as soon as he did that, well, the Taliban announced their intention to retaliate against the United States to shoot down a chopper, you know, carrying the SEALs or the Rangers and started moving. We know this from uh, our intelligence intercepts, over 100 additional Taliban fighters into that Tangi River Valley with RPGs solely for the purpose of shooting down a special missions chopper carrying Navy SEALs. So Biden opened his mouth and added the SEALs. Now, when he did that, we know from talking to family members of the Navy SEALs that they were um, horrified. In other words, we had SEAL members get on the phone. Aaron Vaughn, for example, called his mom and dad, and he and many, many others saying, get off social media now. Don't do anything to link you to me, because once the SEALs have been identified by Biden and his blabbering mouth as a unit that took out the God and put a target on their backs. Now you ask about Panetta. Don, so, Don, hang on yeah. just a second. We got about 30 seconds okay. here. Tell Before the, we go off a radio, tell people where they can find out more about you. Well, you can go to um, you can go to my website at donbrownbooks.com. That's donbrownbooks.com. Go to Wikipedia; they got some stuff on me there. Um, and of course, you can go to um, to Amazon and find all of my books, including including Extortion Once, Call Sign Extortion Seventeen. I would encourage all your readers to read this. This is the primer on the real facts as we know them now. We've had other uh, more information come out, but you can find me on the web. You can. Email, email me, donbrownbooks at gmail.com, and I'm on Twitter at donbrownbooks. Okay. So I'm, I'm happy to interact. All right. You guys, by Red State Talk Radio, join us on YouTube and Facebook at Sons of Liberty. We'll talk to you on the other side. Thanks. See you. Okay, and for those who will be joining us from Red State Talk Radio, welcome. And Don didn't mean to interrupt you there, so if you want to finish your thought, that's fine. I just wanted you to get your plug in before, um, <laughs> before the end of the radio show there um, and want to let you finish your thought. Well, thanks. And, and you'd asked me about Biden and Panetta. And I pointed out that there had been an agreement amongst the Obama administration to be quiet and not reveal the identity of the unit that took out bin Laden. Biden violated that two days after the mission at a hotel in Washington, D.C., when he saw Admiral James Stavridis and said, there's Admiral Stavridis. It's amazing what his SEALs did two days ago in, in the bin Laden. He just blabbered, blabbed it out, which put his target on the SEALs' backs, and and the Taliban, we know they sent fi- they sent fighters in 100 
extra fighters with RPGs in this very small valley where the SEALs were operating for the purpose of shooting down a chopper with Navy SEALs. So, so, so Biden outed the SEALs as the unit that took out Bin Laden, which put a target on the back. And then Leon Panetta, there was some talk, you know, Mr. Perot was talking about Leon Panetta. Well, Leon Panetta was, in fact, director of the CIA under Obama. I don't know about all this, you know, killing, you know, the other things that Mr. Perot alleged, but he was the CIA director initially under Obama. Leon Panetta uh, would then replace Bob Gates as Secretary of Defense in the summer of 2011. But before he did that, he hosted a party at the White House and invited the producers of the movie Zero Dark Thirty, which you may remember was a movie about the SEALs team. I've been He invited them to a party. And, and then Leon Panetta, after Biden in May, had identified the Navy SEALs as a group that took out bin Laden in, in June, or it may have been July. But anyway, it was in the summer of 2011. In the last days as CIA director, he out, he actually revealed to the producers of, of the movie Zero Dark Thirty that SEAL Team 6 was the unit involved. So you have two of the very highest members of the Obama administration the vice president first blabbing with diarrhea of the mouth and then uh, identifying the Navy SEALs as the, as the group that took bin Laden out. And then you have Panetta giving the information to the producers of the movies Zero Dark Thirty. And by the way, the Pentagon Inspector General found that Mr. Panetta had basically compromised classified information when he spewed that information to the producers of Zero Dark Thirty. So they had no discipline, no control, uh, just running their mouth like crazy. You know, whether you believe the Neptune Spear story or not, the agreement was they would keep their mouth shut. And, you know, if you read Bob Gates' book, he touches on this a little bit in his book. But Bob Gates, who was the Secretary of Defense, was furious that these guys had run their mouths. He, he, had, he went to uh, Camp Lejeune here in North Carolina. Um, shortly after that, it was steaming that the SEALs had been outed as the group that took out bin Laden. And of course, his, you know, his anger was clearly at the vice president and at also Panetta. This was Secretary of Defense Bob Gates, who was still Secretary of Defense at the time. So there was no message control. The Obama administration, you know, in terms of their efficiency, was about the sloppiest administration in American history and just could, couldn't, couldn't keep a lid on it after they had agreed to do that. So that's that's how we know that Biden and Panetta are tied in. And there's no question about what I just told you. I mean, you can, the, the record is replete to verify exactly what I told you. And we cover both of those instances in my book, uh, Call Sign Extortion 17, which I encourage your readers to, to pick up and read. I think if you pick that book up and read it, you'll have a command of the facts as we know them. But there are still additional questions that must be answered about this mission. So. Um, we're hoping and praying that all the facts will be revealed and sooner rather than later. I agree. And one of the things that uh, let's get into a couple of things, because extortion 17 is really, you know, your forte. That's the one thing that you really focused on a lot. And one of the things uh, let's point out some of the things that, that people may not know. If they're if they're saying what is this extortion one seven what's the big deal about that well there's at least seventeen Navy SEALs on that and a few more Americans who are on board but on board that was also some Afghani's and the interesting thing is just before takeoff 
the ones who were listed, who were named on the manifest, were swapped out for, what, seven other guys. It's been a while since I've reported on but I'm thinking it's seven other guys, and their names are not even on the manifest. You want to talk about that a little bit? Right. And, you know, when I began to uh, do the research for this book, I I didn't realize that we were flying all these missions with Afghans. Um, But they were the so-called host country, and so therefore the Obama administration was insisting that they they fly on these missions and that the SEALs didn't want them there. Uh, The SEALs told their family members that they were really more concerned about being shot in the back by their Afghan so-called allies and dealing with the Taliban out in front of them. But on this particular mission, um, for some reason, right at or before the time of the mission, we don't have the exact chronology on when the switch out took place. But the the seven Afghan commandos who were supposed to be on the mission were switched out and seven other Afghan commandos came onto the mission onto the chopper, and their names were not accounted for. Now, there were eight Afghans altogether, not only the seven commandos, but a translator. Um, It appears that the swap out was not discovered until later when the U.S. military began the process of trying to inform the family members of the Afghans who had died and discovered that all seven were still alive. In other words, there had been a swap out on it. And, you know, we still don't have a full and adequate explanation of that to this day, which raises the question. There could have been something that happened on the inside of this chopper. Um, this this mission should have been a 10-minute mission. We don't know why the mission was flown. There's no consistent or coherent reason. Mr. Woods there um, is, is correct that some people in the Obama administration suggested that the, that the SEALs were there to rescue the Rangers. And it's true the Rangers were not in trouble but the official report says that the mission was to go after a – it calls this mission what we call a quick reactionary force or an immediate reactionary force, which is to be flown in an emergency. Um, but there's no coherent reason for it. The, the official report says they were going after a Taliban operative named uh, Tariq Kahir. But, Mr., but um, Tariq Kahir was not a high-level enough operative to justify using SEAL Team 6. And the other thing that I discovered, um, Tim, there are a lot of things that I've learned since this book has come out uh, that I wish I'd known when I read the book. Uh, One of the things is I was giving a talk uh, on this PowerPoint talk to a Republican group up in the mountains of North Carolina several years ago. And at the end of the presentation, a gentleman come up to me um, named Colonel Pete McElwain. I've never met him before, but as it turns out, he was a U.S. station chief in Kabul at the beginning the Afghan war. And he said, this is a curious why we would do this. He didn't know anything about the details of this because he left the service by this time. He says, curious that this mission would even be flown. And what he told me that I didn't know, it didn't include in the book, is that the CIA did in fact take operational control of SEAL Team 6 at the beginning of the war. And they were using them for very high level targets. And, you know, the Rangers, Army Rangers were already after this uh, Karee Tahir guy, and this Tariq Karee Tahir guy, who the SEALs were allegedly after, which the report says, was in fact, from what we know, killed, um, you know, by an F-15 in a, in a missile strike, you know, two or three weeks later. You know, there's no reason that this Karee Tahir, if you could identify him, couldn't have been taken out with a drone uh, or by an aircraft missile strike. So there are many, many unanswered questions such as what happened to the seal. To the, there was a black box in the chopper, 
that we sent in a Pathfinder team to look for immediately upon the shoot down. They couldn't find a black box. The military claimed the black box, which would have contained a flight data recorder. So if the chopper were infiltrated, we'd know it. The military claimed initially that the black box had, quote unquote, washed away in a flood. In fact, General Colt, who was briefing family members in October of 2011, just a few weeks after the shoot down, was asked, where's the black box? He said it washed away in a flood. Well, in a flood, there was a, a small creek bed called the Tangy River, which was nothing but a, fleet, a creek bed, but bed, which could, you know, could flood over, you know, if there was a lot of rain. But we pull black boxes out of, you know, water three and four thousand feet deep because they have these low frequency emitters. So that story about having the black box to wash away the flood made no sense. The military maintained that story that it washed away in a flood until February 27th of 2014, when an Obama level, an Obama administration official named Gary Reed testified in a 90 minute dog and pony show before Jason Chaffetz subcommittee that there was never a black box to begin with, even though they sent a full Pathfinder team to look for it, and the Pathfinder team testified this is the first time we've never been able to find one. So there are many, many questions. This chopper, Mr. Woods is right about one thing. It did hang in the air. It should have been a 10-minute flight from Logar Province to neighboring Wardike Province in the Tangy River Valley. 2.22 a.m., they took, they took off. They should have been on the ground at 2.32 a.m. For some reason, we lost communications with the chopper. We reestablished communications eventually, it was supposed to call in at regular intervals, and it called in the first time, and then it went blank on us. And something was going on inside the chopper, and it was hanging in the air almost. It was 2.39, seven minutes overtime, still hanging in the air when it was shot out of the air or blown up internally. So we don't know why, and we've not been given any, you know, really any explanation as to what happened to the black box, except for contradictory stories. The other thing that's interesting, as you may know, Tim, um, last year I was involved in, um, um, I, wrote, I wrote a book subsequent to that about the Clint Lawrence case who was prosecuted. Clint was a paratrooper who was prosecuted um, under the Obama administration for quote unquote murder when his men opened fire on, you know, some, some guys approaching their platoon at high rates of speed on a motorcycle. And the Taliban had to use a motorcycle to kill people. Well, um, President Trump pardoned Clint last November, almost a year ago. and But I wrote the book on it. One thing I learned in the book that I really wasn't fully aware of when I wrote Distortion 1-7 is that we had a very extensive um, DNA testing and identification program uh, on the ground in Afghanistan, e you know, even at the time of the Extortion 1-7 shoot down. Because what was happening is, you know, in the early 2000s, when we went into Afghanistan and, and even up to this day, most of the deaths of American service members have not been from fire directly from the Taliban, but rather from IEDs. In other words, these bombs that blow up. And so, Tim, we were finding, you know, um, one of our guys would step on a bomb and it would blow up or there might be a, a bomb through a vehicle called a VIED. You know, they would just drive up to you in a truck and blow the whole truck up and take a bunch of folks out. Well, we were finding these little scraps of metal from the IEDs and other places that would have partial fingerprints or partial droplets of blood, just enough for a DNA match, but we didn't have a DNA database. So General McChrystal ordered, you know, the U.S. military to take these DNA kits and start to basically get the DNA of every Afghan citizen. That was the goal. And by golly, we came pretty close. So by the time Storch 17 was shot down, you know, you know, you could identify 
you know, um, you could have identified those Afghans on board through DNA testing. Okay, you could have done that. Now we now there was a lieutenant colonel in the Pentagon, David Lapin, who, when the bodies were being flown back to the United States, including the bodies of the Afghans being flown back to the United States, Colonel Lapin said that well, there are no identifiable remains because of the fireball that occurred. Okay. What Colonel Lapin did not know is that I would later get a hold of the military transcript, and we found out that was a lie because the pathfinders testified that I could identify the bodies out on the ground. And then there are some family members, like the Strange family, Charles Strange has been outspoken, who were told that their sons were cremated and were given boxes of ashes. So the question is, why would you cremate any anybody on board Extortion 17, you know, uh, without permission to begin with and without acknowledge, telling the families ahead of time, well, cremation destroys DNA evidence, Tim. So if, in fact, the chopper had been infiltrated by you know, Afghan forces who were adverse to the U.S., and we had a problem with green on blue all throughout the, the war, in other words, where friendly Afghans would turn on our forces and shoot it. If that were the case, you destroy the DNA evidence by cremation because my guess is that whoever penetrated that chopper. My guess is because of the very, very, very massive DNA database that we had in Afghanistan that we could have identified them through DNA uh, matches, and somebody did not want that to happen. Well, Don, one of the other things that uh, comes to mind with what you're saying right there is is the, is the fact that uh, some of the members, some of the SEALs from um, Extortion 17 were also found with, they had bullet holes in them. And you address this because some people said, oh, well, you know, it could have happened. It, it got hot in there and the bullets went off and this, that, and the other. And we all know that's that's bunk, that, that uh, you know, you, you don't get the kind of force uh, from a bullet uh, that gets hot and it just, you know, explodes, basically. Uh, tell, tell people what you discovered as far as uh, the documents that you were able to look at as far as the autopsies and stuff regarding some of that as well. Well, that's a very good point. One of the, one of the many unanswered questions about this case is the issue of bullets in the bodies. And we were able, Tim, to secure not all, but some autopsies through family members turning them over. And, and in two out of the three autopsies, we saw something very disturbing from the military pathologist. Pathologists indicated the following language. Cook-off rounds found in the bodies at autopsy or found at autopsy, but the rounds were thrown away by the military pathologist because the pathologists determined they have no evidentiary value. Now that's a lot to pack in to one sentence, but let, let's, let's talk about that. First off, a pathologist does not, a pathologist turning, you know, performing an autopsy does not have the expertise or the power to make a determination as of whether something has an evidentiary value. Whether it has evidentiary value is a legal question, not a medical question. Secondly, the military um, armed forces pathology rules required all evidence to be preserved until the investigation was over, not to be thrown away. This military pathologist threw away bullets found in the bodies, which he called cook-off rounds. Look at this again. While the investigation was still ongoing, the the cook-off, these so-called cook-off rounds with these bullets found were not identified. Uh, per caliber or anything else. We don't know, for example, if they were 5.56, five, you know, NATO-type rounds that are, that are used in M4s and M16s, or we don't know if they were, you know, 7.26 uh, 
I think they've got that right. The the um the uh, Soviet rounds that are used in AKs. We don't know what caliber they were because the the um, pathologist did not say. Then he called them cook-off rounds. Now here's the thing about it. You know, a cook-off round, like if people don't know what that is, but if you most people think if you got a box of ammunition, like a box of 22 or a 12 gauge shotgun, whatever, and you take that box and you're out, you know, cooking marshmallows on a campfire, you know, having, you know, uh, hot dogs and marshmallows on a campfire. And if you were to place that box of bullets into the campfire, most people think, well, boom, you get a big explosion. But that's not true at all. Basically, what would happen is you would have like the old Rice Krispie commercial snap, crackle, pop. If, if the fire got hot enough to ignite the gunpowder in the bullet, what happens is the bullet just kind of pops apart. It cannot fire or shoot anything because it's not in the rifle of a gun. Matter of fact, the U.S. Army did a study on this, which I include in my book, right after World War II, because what was happening, our guys after World War II were bringing the rifles home and bringing bullets home and storing lots of, you know, M1 carbine types of, uh, you know, Bullets or 30 alt six, which the uh, M1 Grand use in their homes, and so a number of fire departments became concerned that you know if these houses caught on fire, there would be explosions. Well, the Army did a specific study proving that fire, uh, which you know, which is which is uh, put in a bullet that's not in a gun, will not you know cause an explosion, and it certainly will not cause enough velocity for a cook-off round to be fired and entered into a body. It's just almost it's impossible for it to happen. The only way it could possibly happen is if I've got a gun here and I point it at you and then somebody takes a blowtorch under it and keep, makes it hot enough until the bullet that's chambered in the round might somehow pop and fire. But even still, when that hammer strikes the, the, you know, the gunpowder in the casing, that's what causes the explosion. So... We have, we have bullets found in the bodies of these seals thrown away, thrown away in violation of military protocol for autopsies. And we don't know what kind of rounds they were. And I can tell you something else that you may not know, um, Tim. I'll just let you and your audience know now. If Billy Juan and I have continued to follow this story and this, we continue to investigate. And back in 2000 and... Um, let me see. It was 2017. We uh, went up to Capitol Hill to meet with several members of the Congress. We met with Brian Mast. We met with uh, Duncan Hunter, who's subsequently been removed from the Congress, as you know. And most importantly, we met with Congressman Walker Jones. And this time, the Republicans were still in control of the House Armed Services Committee. Okay, And, and Walker Jones was not the chair of the committee. Matt Thornberry was. But Walter Jones was a senior Republican. And Walter Jones is a guy who has a heart for the soldier. You know, he sometimes he would make Republicans mad because he caught like you see it. He was a he was a true gentleman who had a heart for the little guy and has has been involved in investigations to exonerate soldiers who have been or Marines also, especially because he's his in his district since Camp Lejeune. Walter simply since passed away. But he exonerated some Marine Corps Osprey pilots who were thrown under the bus. Uh, under a pilot error when they die. But I don't want to go too far off the track, but Walker got involved in this case. And he said, listen, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to um, formulate some questions. And I'm going to take those questions to the House Armed Services Committee. And it's a committee. We're going to put those questions to the Pentagon. So Billy and I did that. 
And we drafted these questions. And one of the questions we asked was this, you know, who was the pathologist who performed the autopsy? You didn't get an answer to that. Then why were bullets thrown away when military protocol required that they be, that they be preserved? We also asked, were any Afghans buried in Arlington Cemetery? Because we knew Afghans were flown over to the United States. And these, these eight Afghans, their bodies or remains were flown here, and there was no accounting for them. Well, to make a long story short, six months later, the Armed Services Committee, and, and there, was a, there was an inquiry sent over to the Armed Services Committee from the House, excuse me, from the Armed Services Committee to the Pentagon, signed by Chairman Matt Thornberry, give us answers to these questions. Six months later, we got answers back and nothing but blow-offs and run-around. The Pentagon did nothing but blow us off on every question. For example, we asked the question, you know, who were there? A simple question. Were Afghan remains buried at Arlington? That is a simple question. The Army has the answer to that. Secretary of the Army controls Arlington Cemetery. Okay? So that should be a simple answer, yes or no. Well, the answer that we got back to that question was this. We, that, that is the Pentagon, have read reports in the press that the Afghan remains may have been repatriated to, to Afghanistan. So in other words, rather than answering the question yes or no, and you know the answer, Pentagon, they give us this blow-off answer about we have read press reports that they may have been flown back to Afghanistan. Total bull. On the questions about the, you know, the cook-off rounds and why weren't military procedures followed with regard to preserving evidence, the same blow-off. Uh, we believe that everything was followed. I mean, nothing specific at all. And shortly after that, um, the Democrats took control of the House, House Armed Services Committee. Of course, we had no ability for follow-up cooperation at this point. But, you know, you didn't know this before, Tim, I've never told you, but these Pentagon blew off the House Armed Services Committee to specific questions that we put to them that still have not been answered to this day about this mission. Well, there's a lot of people, or not a lot of people, there's some people asking some questions in here. How does this guy know all this stuff? Why does he keep referring to the book? Well, it's because you spent a lot of time going over these documents, talking to family members like uh, Billy Vaughn, uh, the Stranges, and, and some other people whose sons were aboard this. And it's amazing to me that more people, you know, and I was I was amazed um, a few years back when they went down to Miami and they did a little, you know, man on the street thing. And they said something like they were asking the people, so what's in the, what's with the what's with this guy named Benghazi in the news? And the people just were oblivious to it. They 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 were just, you know, living their lives or not paying any attention. This is why I say a lot of people aren't even caught up in what the WWE, you know, propaganda that comes out of out of DC and the mainstream media. And what's interesting is most people though who are know about Benghazi, they have no clue about 17 and, and Navy SEALs don't just die. Right. I mean, they're trained to not die. And then you right. get 17 on board. Now, it reminds me very much, it, it, obviously it's different, but it was it Operation Red Wings. They had another helicopter very similar that got shot out. Uh, all those guys killed on it as well. And this happened under Obama also. And so, I don't know, this, this whole thing to me, 
the fact that America is not really aware of what took place in 2011 that took the lives of these these SEALs. Uh, there were a couple of uh, National Guard guys that were flying the, the thing too, weren't they? Uh, and there, were some five, other- there were five Army National Guard crew members, the okay. two pilots, um, David Carter and Brian Nichols, okay. uh, who were fine gentlemen. And then there were three other National Guard members uh, who were in the choppers. It's Army National Guard out of Colorado again, right. in Missouri, exactly. Yeah, right. you, you got all those guys dying. And, uh, you know, people don't even, I mean, the life of, of, of a person at all, you can't really put a value on. But as far as Americans are concerned, I mean, each one of these guys had millions of dollars worth of training right. that had been put into them. I mean, they were the elite of the elite, if you will. And yet... Not much is covered. In fact, when you talked about uh, some of these things going on with the congressman, Jason Chaffetz, uh, some people say the reason that he got out of Washington was because he botched the whole— ex- I mean, they had been waiting for years for a congressional hearing, and Jason Chaffetz was supposed to set it up. Uh, people like Trey Gowdy didn't even show up, and uh, and they asked they, they had some of the so- most softball questions— that you could ever think of, nobody challenged in that. And I think even the guy who was who came there from uh, the Pentagon, uh, if I if I recall correctly, that guy, he didn't know anything about anything when they asked him questions, and he was he was just kind of a stand-in. Gary Reed was his name. Gary and Reed, yeah. It, yeah, and this thing was this hearing was titled "Honoring the Heroes of Extortion 17. There were no questions asked. In fact. Um, on, again, and I may have mentioned this earlier, but when Mr. Reed for the first time that day, and I may have some sound effects of my dog here in a second. Hopefully he doesn't get too loud. But when Mr. Reed on that day was questioned about what happened to the black box, and again, this was February of 2014. The shoot down was in 2011. The military up until this point, had been arguing the black box washed away in a flood. Mr. Reed changed his story and said, well, there wasn't a black box to begin with because the chopper was too old. Okay, so he said that, and that went unchallenged. Not one member of the Congress said this. Well, Mr. Reed, if that is true, then why did we send a team of Army Pathfinders looking for it? Why would you do that? And why did the Pathfinders say this is the first time that we've never been able to find one? And over 50 Chinooks had gone down. Uh, at this point in Afghanistan. So there was no challenge. And to your um, to the question that the gentleman may have asked about how I know about, it, let me let me just say this this book, okay, read the book, but what you here's the way I quote unquote no. All right. I read the military's own report. Okay. So let me explain what happened. This chopper goes down August 6, 2011, Hiroshima Day, the anniversary of the shoot down of Hiroshima. Okay. And so um the day after the shoot down on August 7th, General Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, who later became Secretary of Defense, order, who was commander of Central Command, orders a brigadier general named General David Colt to go to Afghanistan to investigate. And they investigate over the period of a little over a month. Colt goes. He brings junior officers with him. They interview witnesses. They interview these these um, Apache pilots, you mentioned one a moment ago, they interview, they, we had an AC-130 circling overhead that watched the whole thing. Uh, that pilot was interviewed. Um, you know, they interviewed members of the crash investigation team. 
1,250 pages of that report. So, so here's what happened. So, so after this, this investigation is complete, General Mattis sends a, out a BS report saying, I've, I have ordered General Colt to investigate. I conclude that nothing went wrong. This simply happened in the fog of war. So it's a bull, and I won't say because you might, you know, you know what I'm thinking. Though I'm an Navy yeah. BS report, right? right? So, so when Colt then goes in October of 2011, uh, you know, only 60 days after these parents have lost their sons, he goes to Virginia Beach to brief family members and happens to their sons. He's giving this malarkey about you know the black box washed away in a flood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while he's doing that. Tim, we have senior enlisted members going around to the family members and passing out these envelopes. And inside the envelopes are these CD-ROMs. And on the CD-ROMs are 1,250 pages of the military's own report, which strangely had been declassified. Now, normally it takes 50 years to declassify, but somebody wanted the story out. So they declassified 1,250 pages of military zone report, and they pass that out to family members, okay? So that's how I quote-unquote know, because one of the family members, the Vaughns, met with me, and they wanted me to help them read the report. The report was full of what we call military ease. Now, I was a JAG officer, so that therefore I'm an attorney, and I don't really like to always sit, you know, let people know I'm an attorney because I got to have some friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But 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 I, I say that for analogy. In the law, we have what we have legalese. We have terms like stare decisis and you know res ipsa locator and all kinds of Latin crap that the average person can't understand. And unfortunately, I think it's for that very purpose. Well, in the military, at the same time, we've got all kinds of acronyms and timelines and things that a lay person can't read. Or, or understand without some background or knowledge of where to get the information. So I read the report from start to finish and discovered multiple, multiple internal contradictions, which made no sense. So how do I quote unquote, know? I know because of the military's own report and the BS that was skewed in the investigation itself. And I can tell you that when Trump initially um, announced that Matt, the quote-unquote mad dog Mattis was going to be appointed as Secretary of Defense. Billy Barn and I are going, what the hell? What the heck? You know, this guy signed off on the cover-up report for Extortion 17 to begin with. But Trump didn't know anything about that and I think was intrigued by the mad dog persona because the, the guy looked like a tough guy. But I can tell you the guy's liberal, and I've had a, some very high senior generals in the U.S. military tell me that very thing. So that's how I know to, to answer your question. If you read the book, reader, you'll see yourself that I'm quoting largely from the military's own report and pointing out the foolish contradictions that are con- that are contained there. I'm just I'm it's mostly what they've already given me. That's how I quote unquote know. And so, you know, that's where we start. But the country deserves a answers to these questions. Why are you flying uh, you know, a SEAL team into a what appears to be a Taliban trap. One of the things the book points out, we had an AC-130 circling over this chopper. That AC-130 could see it flying into the trap. AC-130 saw Taliban members running toward the landing zone, apparently with with weapons with them. 
And that AC-130 asked flight control to turn the chopper around. That was denied. They asked for pre-suppression fire to take out Taliban running to the landing zone. That was was denied because of Obama's rules of engagement at the time. And all that needs to be exposed. You know, you talk about rules of engagement. At, at this point in the war, you know, we've been there since 2000. My son just got back from Afghanistan, and I know too much about it, so I was biting my fingers and praying every day that he was gone. He was there for nine months. But at this time of the war, there were three foolish rules of engagement getting our guys killed. Number one is what I call the battlefield lawyer rule. That's what happened in the Lawrence case, that you have to conduct an analysis in the battlefield as to whether there is a hostile intent or a hostile act before you fire. So if they're coming on you with a motorcycle, or if they're if they're doing something that appears to be aggressive and you tell them not to, you got to play any mini mini mo, shoot the Taliban or let them go. And by the time they do that, boom, you blown up. So the battlefield lawyer rule was number one. Number two is, involves what happened in extortion. It's what I call the disengage upon retreat rule. So what happened? It is true, Mr. Woods is right that these two choppers had flown a Navy, excuse me, an Army Ranger team into this war act that Wardak province into this Tangy River Valley to engage in a firefight with the Taliban and they engaged in their, that firefight several hours before the SEALs were involved. The, the Rangers took care of business. They're outstanding warriors and they're part of, considered to be part of the overall Special Operations Command, not on the same level as the SEALs, but they're outstanding warriors. So the Rangers took care of business and this AC-130 saw at least two of them or several of them actually moving they, they laid them, they stopped fighting the Rangers and they ran. So in other words, the Rangers had had defeated the Taliban on the ground that night. And these squirters, as they call, left the battle with the Rangers and were heading toward the landing zone where the SEAL chopper was coming. They were U.S. enemies. The AC-130 wanted to take them out. But because of this disengage upon retreat rule, in other words, Tim, you and, guy, you and I get in a firefight. And um, and I'm trying to kill you, and and I don't quite kill you. You don't kill me. And I say I have none of this. I'm taking my gun and going the other way. You know, th- you know. Then you can't shoot me under those rules of engagement. Even though I can come back tomorrow and try to kill you again. Now somebody tried telling General Patton he couldn't have taken out retreating Nazis running to Berlin. Try telling him that. But the disengage upon retreat rule is the reason that that AC-130 could not take out the very unit that might have taken out Extortion 17. Well, and we have... Yeah, go ahead. We have have that from uh, Air Force Captain Joni Marquez. I mean, she's the one who came out, I think it was like, what, six years later. And she was talking about that she was in there. She saw where the shot came from. Uh, She requested permission to fire. They wouldn't give her the permission to fire because they said, oh, there's possibly friendlies there and this, that, and the other. You wanted to make one more point, and then I want to ask you one thing, and we'll close out the show. You want to finish off that third point that you were making there? Well, the the third third, uh, suicidal rules of engagement was what we call the law of disproportional force. This was put in by the Obama administration. In other words, if they shoot you, if they shoot you with an, they shoot at you with an AK-47, you can't take them out with a bazooka. And that happened in the Lawrence case, in, in which Lawrence's platoon on the day before he was, you know, accused of quote unquote murder, they were in a firefight. Lawrence authorized his weapons sergeant to use a shoulder fired missile to take out Taliban snipers. And they did take him out. They've been shooting the platoon trying to kill him. Lawrence was dressed down that night by his captain uh, in the, at, at the company level 
for violating the law of disproportional force. So there were suicide rules of engagement involved. And that's one of the reasons that this story must be publicized. And I appreciate you doing this, but the largest loss of life to our most, you know, elite military team basically covered up by the liberal press. And, you know, when they cover something up, you wonder what, you know, fires behind the smoke. Exactly. I, I think that is I think that is an issue. And and by the way, folks, we're going to have uh, all of these links up to the the um, interview that I showed you earlier, as well as uh, I got this information. Thanks to you guys uh, from some of these um, uh, audio and some of the things from Miss Kate as well. We're going to put that up. But as far as of yet, I haven't seen any documentation. I hear a lot of the stuff. And so this leads me to the last question I'm going to ask you, Don, and I hope you'll hang with me just a few seconds after I close the show because I have to let it run for five or six seconds uh, to close yeah. out, and then we'll talk for just a few minutes. Um, this coming out three weeks before the election, and this guy who says this, this uh, Mr. Perot, says, oh, you know, I, this is my last week. It's very dramatic. I, and I'm not saying he's not being honest. I, I'm just saying to me, it's very suspicious when you come out and you say these things, but you, it's like what you said, where's the beef? You don't provide, right. you don't provide a, not one document. You haven't given one document in it. You don't play right. one audio clip or anything, but you've right. got terabytes of this right. stuff. And I, I find it hard to believe if this guy has that, that the people in DC don't have it too. That there's a lot of people there, good and bad, who have that information. So I just, I find it, and it was, it, I think the interview was played at AMP, the AMP Fest that um, uh, Trump had going on down there in Miami at the Doral uh, Resort, where the, um, the the tranny was doing his thing uh, there, uh, setting up the music. But but the point is, is that it was, it, it, this, this should be something that is dealt with, and yet, Oh, well, he's got to go out there and he's got a campaign, but his job is to make sure the laws are faithfully executed, Article 2, Section 3. This is a big deal. This is not something that should be sitting there waiting, you know, held as a carrot. Oh, if you elect me, then we'll go deal with it. Kind of like Hillary. That was the promise the first go around. She's still running around. Obama's still running around. Holder's still running around. Loretta Lynch. We can name the whole whole gang there. Yeah. And it says it's it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, but we don't see any we don't see any beef in that. We we keep seeing we we've seen the evidence for what? Twelve years now of the of the crimes of the Obama administration and nobody's done anything. We just right. keep putting out this is how crooked they are, you gotta keep voting for us because we're the good guys, but we don't get anything from it. We we don't get we didn't get it from the guys in Congress. Uh, whether it was Fast and Furious, whether it was Extortion 17, the IRS targeting. Uh, gosh, what else can we pull out? There was a whole bunch of scandals within there under the uh, administration that, that the guy said, there was no scandals in my administration. What it, What is your gut telling you as far as this information coming out from Mr. Perot um, at, at this time, you know, just before the election? What's your gut say about that? My gut tells me, um, you, you know, that until I see any evidence, it's just pre-election, pre-election poppycock until I see evidence. Um, could be telling the truth. Why'd you wait this long? And, and why are you sitting on it? Send it to Sons of Liberty and let my friend Tim Brown look at it. Or send it to me and let me look at it. If you got it, if you got the beef, show the beef. Otherwise, it, it, it comes off as kind of like clickbait. You know, and, and we want to know the answer to what happened to these guys. And if what you're saying is true, the country needs to know now. 
I mean, if you're if you're the patriot you say you are, then release it so that, you know, it can be analyzed by people who are capable of analyzing who really want the truth and don't want to hide it. But other than that, it sounds like pre-election click to me. I mean, that's my gut. I could be wrong. And, well, I, and I think the guy obviously knows some things. But yeah. where is the evidence, brother? Where is it if you got it? I think the same thing. And that's that's been mine. And I may mention to you, it reminds me of Andrew Breitbart when he came out and said, I'm going to have this stuff out on Obama, you know, it's coming, it's coming. And then he's off. And then when we get what actually he was talking about, it was really, a, his was really a big nothing. I mean, it was Obama talking it, you know, uh, at, at the university, uh, making a speech that tied him with somebody else. It was, that part was really a big nothing. And so I, you know, it's not that I don't deny that the guy's story sounds legitimate, um, right. especially with some of the things that that we already know, Right. But come on, man, if you got the stuff, that right. should have been put out last week when he did the interview. And uh, I think by not doing that, it is that thing to keep people. It's the continually the carrot in front of them. And uh, so I just, you know, I got to say, uh, until we see something, I, I'm just, I'm going to question it too. But I, I think it's important that people do remember the issue of, you know, what you wrote your book on, and that is Extortion 17. And no, folks, this isn't a book sale for Don, but Don has poured a lot into that. And it's a story that many Americans have not, have just not even heard of. And uh, we want to make sure that Americans don't forget that because a lot of men lost their life and uh, nobody's been held accountable for it. Amen, brother. Amen. I don't care. Honestly, if I never make a dime off the book, if a million people read it, I, I really, I want people, I want the truth out there. That's what I want, you know, and uh, it really, uh, you know, we are a constitutional republic and we're entitled to know what's going on. And uh, only the people can take control and take power. And we got, we can only do that with accurate knowledge. I agree. And so Tim, that's one of the reasons I appreciate so much what you're doing. And you can tell Mr. Woods and your other folks, article four, section four, uh, states that we are this constitution gives it a states a republican That's form right. of government and the word democracy is never used in it you read what benjamin franklin said and the other founders they yep. hate democracy so that's right it's a little thing to get on my nerves too bro <laughs> i know it does Lord mine as well mercy. all right one time before we go tell people where they can find out more about you and where they can pick up your books okay great so yeah you can go to my website at donbrownbooks.com you can go to amazon and 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 just type in Don Brown Extortion 17. Um, I have 14 books out, all in the U.S. military. Some are fiction, some are nonfiction. Uh, we had a national bestseller, Last Fighter Pilot, a couple of years ago, which is a very good story about the final combat mission of World War II. Uh, but, but I'm here today to help keep the story alive of Extortion 17. And I want everybody to get this book and read it and then decide for yourselves and move from there. I mean, if you read the book, you're going to be looking at hard evidence. And then whether or not Mr. Perot has anything to add, that's another question. But you will know what happened to these guys. At least you'll know what the military says happened to them, and you'll understand the contradictions. And, and maybe we can get some answers for their sake and for the sake of other young warriors who may be in harm's way in the future. Amen. Amen. Don, we appreciate you taking your time for us uh, this morning. Guys, check him out at donbrownbooks.com. You can also pick up uh, the extortion book. The link is in the video description. So you can click right there and you can pick that up if you want to do that. Uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Bradley will be on. And then 6 a.m. tomorrow, we'll be right back with you. Till then, see ya.